Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality. That's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. You must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Wednesday, August 3rd, 2022, the 560th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber on the Substack. I'm your moderator.substack.com. You can subscribe for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month comes out to under a quarter per episode. So if you want to support me, you want to support the show, you want to support the work that I do, that's the best way to do it. And the other best way, of course, is to share the show with people who you think might like it. And a huge thank you to everyone who does either of those things. So big Primary day yesterday across the country, Arizona, Kansas, Michigan, Missouri, and Washington all headed out to the polls yesterday. And at least for the races that have already been called, Donald Trump and the MAGA candidates he endorsed have a clean sweep, wins across the board. As Donald Trump says, I ran the board. And it's a bit of an odd way to say that, but hey, maybe he has other meanings. He likes to play with his phrasing. But there still are some results outstanding. They haven't officially called the Arizona GOP primary for governor. Carrie Lake has declared victory over Karen Taylor Robson, but there's only 80% of the vote in. Katie Hobbs, everyone's hero as Arizona Secretary of State and a constant figure on MSNBC. She's been doing TV hits all morning, even though the vote is not finished in Arizona. It's almost like she doesn't perceive her real job actually being to run elections in Arizona as the Secretary of State. And instead, it's to defend the election fraud apparatus that has made her so famous. 
They're still missing over 40 percent of the vote in multiple races in Washington state where Trump endorsed candidates Joe Kent and Lauren Culp are waiting for their results. So the voting machines and the mail-in ballot system, very safe, very secure, very, very efficient. That's why we have the machines. You have to remember, we have the machines because there are just too many people to count the votes by hand. We need the machines. That's what makes it so efficient. And now we have become completely accustomed to election results taking days, if not weeks, in California's case, to come in. And people's attention wanes. And especially in races that aren't prominently featured in national media, corrupt actors in these states can influence and manipulate the election results without anyone really paying attention. Or at least they have in the past. People's eyes are on all of this now. So I'm going to get into some more of the election results and the narratives that are being formed as we head into the fall. But before that, there was a really interesting piece in Reuters this morning. Pro-Trump activists swamp election officials with sprawling records requests. Pro-Trump operatives are flooding local officials with public records requests to seek evidence for the former president's false stolen election claims and to gather intelligence on voting machines and voters, adding to the chaos rocking the U.S. election system. You see, this is what creates the chaos. Citizens getting involved and wanting to make sure that these systems are being implemented according to the law and that the law is followed and wanting to see proof that the law was followed. That is what's making our election system so chaotic. All of these people just went out and believed the big lie. And now they are asking their state for the information that proves that their claims are indeed a big lie. But that's not okay. This is the people's information, right? The government of each state is the people's government. The people, the citizens of that state have a right to this information. The government is supposed to be accountable to the people. They're not supposed to be unanswerable. This is not secret information. And what does it say about our society and about the corruption in our government that it's generally understood that the government and the people are on opposite sides? That's not supposed to be how it is. The Maricopa County Recorder's Office in Arizona, an election battleground state, has fielded 498 public records requests this year, 130 more than all of last year. Officials in Washoe County, Nevada, have fielded 88 public records requests, two-thirds more than in all of 2021. And the number of requests to North Carolina State Elections Board have already nearly equaled last year's total of 229. The surge of requests is overwhelming staffs that oversee elections in some jurisdictions, fueling baseless voter fraud allegations and raising concerns about the inadvertent release of information that could be used to hack voting systems, according to a dozen election officials interviewed by Reuters. So election officials who talked to Reuters have said that if this public information information that should be available to citizens is released, it might make it possible to hack the voting machines. But we were told the voting machines are not connected to the internet and they're very safe and very secure. Why are we now being told that it's possible to hack them? Republican and Democratic election officials said they consider some of the requests an abuse of freedom of information laws meant to ensure government transparency. So we have the Freedom of Information Act. Citizens can petition the government to release information. But if they do it too much or they want information the government doesn't want to give them, it's considered abuse of their right to do that. It's a pretty incredible framing. It's amazing that Reuters will even write this stuff, but we shouldn't be surprised at this point. Records requests facing many of the country's 8,800 election offices have become voluminous and daunting, 
since the 2020 election, said Kim Wyman, head of election security at the Federal Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, that's CISA. Last year, when she left her job as Washington Secretary of State, the state's top election official, her office had a two-year backlog of records requests. A two-year backlog in getting people the information they seek so that they can find out just how corrupt their government is. So that they can analyze whether or not elections are being properly run. You just can't have it. Two years. Information that important. Two years. Maybe they should devote more people to this task. But instead, the government funds NGOs to increase turnout. They allot funding to all of the different agencies so that they can register more voters. Despite already having millions upon millions of inactive voters and bad registrations all across the country. You can't purge the voter rolls. That's voter suppression. And you can't fill records requests. We just don't have the manpower. But what we can do is make sure no one ever gets any information that might lead them to believe that these elections are being stolen. You still have a group of people in each state that believe the election was stolen, said Wyman, a Republican. And you got to remember, it's a Republican. So she's telling the truth because she agrees with the Democrats. And any time that the two sides agree, that's when you know it's the truth. And she's from Washington, a deep, deep blue state. So she must have gotten all her power as a result of being ultra competent and supremely honest. And that's probably why she was appointed to her position at CISA too. In April, the official in Arizona's Maricopa County in charge of responding to public records requests, Eileen Haber, assigned four of her nine staffers to pull 20,000 documents out of holding boxes, sort them for scanning, and then carefully return them to their proper place. It took four days. Oh no. The office in Arizona responsible for filling public records requests had to spend four days filling public records requests. The horror. The staffers were filling just one of several records requests from Haystack Investigations, who had asked for chain of custody records for all 2.1 million ballots cast in the election. The firm says on its website that it conducts a variety of investigations for companies, law firms, and individuals. The company worked on Arizona's quote unquote in this article forensic audit, the examination of Trump's defeat in the county by pro-Trump partisans that ended last year without uncovering voter fraud. And it's interesting that they use the term voter fraud in here. Because what the Maricopa audit was interested in finding was election fraud. They were interested in getting to the system. They were examining everything. It wasn't about simple voter fraud. And they also discovered maladministration. They discovered deleted records. They discovered a lack of chain of custody. They discovered on numerous levels ways that the election had not been run according to the law. They discovered overwhelming maladministration. And yes, they did discover election fraud, but the media reported it as Joe Biden actually won by even more. Reuters is doubling down pretty hard here. The labor intensive haystack requests illustrate the growing challenge facing stretched election offices across the country. In Maricopa County, which includes Phoenix, extensive requests like the one submitted by Haystack make up about one quarter of the total the office has received this year, said Haber, the director of communications and constituent services in the Maricopa County Recorder's office. Now, again, this article is trying to convince us that it's just not right for people to want to examine the chain of custody records for the ballots. If they were running proper elections, those chain of custody records would all be available. All the votes would be accounted for. They would be properly filled out. There would be absolutely no problem. Yes, the people in this office might feel that doing their job is somehow burdensome. 
but they would power through and share those records and everybody would say, oh, wow, they really did run a clean election. But that's not what we're dealing with. What we're dealing with is people who don't want anyone to look at what they've done. The requests are getting bigger, more detailed, more burdensome and going back even further in time, she said. Heather Honey, who heads Pennsylvania-based Haystack, said the requests were unrelated to the firm's work on the Arizona audit and were for her own research. All are meaningful and contribute to specific professional research activities, said Honey, who has sought similar election-related records in Pennsylvania. The local officials told Reuters that the surge in requests from election deniers is drowning their staffs in extra work at a time when they are struggling to recruit and retain voting administrators vital to democracy. So records requests, open records requests are now destroying our democracy. Election workers have already endured an onslaught of death threats and harassment from Trump activists. Reuters has documented more than 900 such hostile messages since the 2020 vote. Well, Reuters, maybe you should put that hobby aside and go help them fulfill records requests. The concern is burnout, said Jamie Rodriguez, the interim registrar of voters in Washoe County, Nevada. With burnout does come the potential for mistakes. Oh, we're going to have human error as a result of people having to do their jobs. Rodriguez took over this week from the former registrar who resigned after being targeted with death threats and other harassment. Ryan Macias, an election security consultant for CISA, likened the swarm of records requests to a denial of service cyber attack in which hackers attempt to overwhelm a network with Internet traffic and said it was creating potential security risks given the stresses already weighing on election workers. We have the attrition rate. We have people who are under threat from the community, people who are getting death threats, people who are overworked, Macias said at a gathering of state election directors in Wisconsin on July 19th. Now, Ryan Macias was one of the people last year who was infiltrating and caught infiltrating the Arizona audit. He made his way into the audit by claiming to be a member of the media. Ryan Macias has worked with Dominion in the past, and he has been sent around the country to Arizona, to Pennsylvania, to Georgia. And now he's at CISA complaining that everyone is overworked and threatened and harassed because citizens are asking for data and information they have a right to. All 50 states have freedom of information laws that are used routinely by journalists, advocates, academics, and everyday citizens to access records on government. Such statutes aim to ensure the public has the information needed to hold their leaders accountable. Local officials told Reuters they believe in the importance of such laws and said they are trying to find creative ways to lessen the burden of the election-related requests on their staffers. Rather than ask for a bigger budget, Haber of Maricopa County said she has trained her whole team to help respond. Washoe County temporarily halts the production of documents at a certain point prior to the election to ensure staff can focus on administering the vote, Rodriguez said. Donald Palmer, a commissioner on the Federal Election Assistance Commission, told a gathering of secretaries of state on July 8th in Baton Rouge that they should help local officials more efficiently respond to the deluge of requests by, for instance, creating a reading room site to simultaneously respond to duplicative requests from different people. Oh, how creative. What a great idea. Rodriguez said most of her nine current staffers joined in 2021 or 2022 after a rash of staff departures. She is trying to limit their overtime to keep them fresh for November. But the records requests aren't letting up. One request sought various information on the county's election workers during the 2022 primary, including their phone number, mailing address and party affiliation. So very threatening. Another one was filed in late June by Robert Beatles a businessman who moved from California to Reno in 2019 and is now leading a movement to push election fraud theories and target politicians who don't support his agenda. 
Beatles requested 38 different data sets. That bastard. Beatles tells visitors to his website, operationsunlight.com, to send requests to their county clerks for a list of voters in the November 2020 election, broken down by voting method and the total number of ballots cast for each candidate. He asks them to email the records to Dr. Shiva, a leading purveyor of election fraud conspiracies. As strapped government staffs struggle to keep up with extensive inquiries, some election officials express concern about slipping up and releasing information that could compromise election security. Samuel Durheimer, director of government affairs at voting equipment manufacturer Hart InterCivic, said his company has seen an explosion of requests from election officials for help determining when releasing certain records threatens election integrity. Public records requests sometimes target operational manuals containing security protocols that should not be released to the public, he said. So the citizens make up the state. The citizens are supposed to comprise government. The government is supposed to be accountable to the citizens. That government then contracts out to these machine, these election machine manufacturers, and then they are involved in the actual running of the election, the logic and accuracy tests, all of that stuff. They have their hands in all of it. The citizens, the taxpayers are paying for all of this stuff. And again, it is their government working with these companies. And yet the idea is that the citizens can only seek accountability to the extent that the government and these private entities decide is okay. And that checking to see if the elections actually have integrity, if these machines are functioning properly, and if they're used according to the law, all of that actually threatens election integrity. So once again, we're being told that investigating to find out if there is any election integrity issue is itself the cause of election integrity issues. We're just supposed to accept that everything went just fine because they've told us. And they're the ones who know best. Karen Brinson Bell, executive director of the North Carolina State Board of Elections, said one of the challenges is analyzing whether seemingly separate individuals or groups might be working together to piece together sensitive information about voting equipment and processes. That's when your antenna starts going up, she said. We are having to spend a lot of extra time thinking in those terms. So what she is saying right there is that even though these requests themselves are legitimate and that the information could be accessed, the people responsible for filling these public records requests are now proposing theories about conspiracies among the people seeking these records. And once they have formed one of their conspiracy theories about the citizens seeking access to information they rightfully have access to, then they realize that it is the citizens and their conspiracy theories that are causing the records requests. The public officials have conspiracy theories about conspiracy theories. It's really kind of incredible. But the main takeaway here is they don't want anyone to look. Still to this day, now we are complaining about the volume of requests for public information. They want to make sure there's no way anyone can actually check under the hood. And the reason for that is because the election fraud is ongoing. They have not slowed down. If anything, they're ramping all this stuff up because the threat keeps growing, even in a post-Trump world. The amount of manipulation we can see at this point in all of these races is something I don't think any of us would have expected just a few years ago. But they actually have created these elaborate systems by which the elections are run and then all of these systems on the back end to make sure that no one can ever check. They have delay strategies like this. Two years for public records requests. That's insane. 
They have these open primaries, these jungle primaries like they have in Washington right now. The Democrat, of course, finishes first. And then some Republicans fight it out for the second spot to dictate who will be the nominee, who will go against the Democrat in first place. And you've already got a race that shows the Democrat, of course, is in first place. I mean, after all, it's a deep blue state. Democrats are just going to win up and down the ballot because everybody knows Washington is deep blue. Democrats always win and they'll just cement the narrative over time. That is what they're doing in these primaries. And I want to go a little bit deeper into how they're cementing these narratives and how they're creating new narratives that will set the stage for the general election, the midterms in November. And a great way to begin doing that is to kind of reverse engineer what the narrative they're spitting out today is. Let's see what it is they're trying to avoid. This is from CNN. These are key takeaways from various races decided last night or maybe decided in a couple of weeks. So according to the mainstream media, the biggest news of all from yesterday, because, of course, they're not going to cover extensively all of the MAGA candidates winning. That can't be the major story. The major story is in Kansas about an abortion rights measure. Kansas voters handed abortion rights advocates a massive victory Tuesday, surging to the polls to defeat a measure that would have allowed the GOP-led legislature to impose new restrictions. The vote in Kansas was one of the first tests of the potency of abortion rights at the ballot box since the Supreme Court's decision to reverse Roe v. Wade and end the federal protection of abortion access. Kansas voters sent a dramatic message on Tuesday, opting to maintain the right to an abortion in their state's constitution just weeks after the U.S. Supreme Court decided to overturn Roe v. Wade. Polls have long shown that voters overwhelmingly support protecting abortion rights. But the win for the no vote in Kansas is proof of that and signals that the Supreme Court decision has further angered voters and possibly shifted the politics of the issue ahead of the November elections. The no leaves the state constitution unchanged. While lawmakers in the state can still try to pass restrictive abortion laws, courts in Kansas have recognized a right to abortion under the state constitution. The biggest warning to Republicans, many of whom have trumpeted the overturning of Roe and backed pushes to pass stricter abortion laws, is perhaps the turnout in Kansas. With 78% of the vote in on Tuesday night, nearly 700,000 people have cast ballots in the primary, a figure that already dwarfs the turnout in the 2020 presidential primary election. Now, that is really astounding. We are being told that in Kansas, there is a massive public movement to protect the quote unquote right to abortion. Now, on its own, that claim kind of already makes no sense. The idea that that issue is a bigger deal than a presidential primary, it draws more people out. This primary race in Kansas in 2022 draws out more people on the Democrat side of things to come out than the presidential primary in 2020. And of course, this is the most important issue for this fall. That's what we will be told, and that's what we're being told right now. Even though all of the abortion protests failed to materialize, some communists hit the streets and whined for a few days, and then that was that. We know the polling on abortion support is not remotely the way Democrats actually describe it. And we know that in states like Indiana that are banning abortion, there is not some groundswell out there. There are not all of these abortion rights activists out there demanding change. But yet they all came out to vote in Kansas to make this huge issue. And it's being framed exactly as you'd expect it to be framed. This is what's going to drive the enormous turnout numbers in November. We're going to see the biggest turnout ever for a midterm election. It'll be like the presidential election of 2020, where 
159. I actually looked up the number specifically since yesterday. 159 million votes in the 2020 presidential election. A full 20% increase over the highest totals ever. Record turnout. That's what the Democrats depend on. Because without record turnout, which just basically means record fraud, they can't win. And it's obviously record fraud because the approval ratings for the Democrats, for Joe Biden, all in the tank. The Democrats are losing on all of the issues. People are switching their party affiliation to Republican. So how is it possible in any legitimate way that the Democrats could see record turnout? It's not. But nonetheless, they have to figure out ways that people could believe there would be record turnout because that's the only way they're going to get the results they want in the fall. They need an explanation now for what they're going to do then. They need people to believe the results. They need Democrats to go out there and say, yes, these results are legitimate. Of course, we have record turnout because everyone cares so much about abortion rights. And let's get their take on Missouri. Donald Trump on Truth Social the other day made an endorsement in Missouri, and it was a bit of a strange one. This is what he said. There is a big election in the great state of Missouri, and we must send a MAGA champion and true warrior to the U.S. Senate, someone who will fight for border security, election integrity, our military and great veterans, together with having a powerful toughness on crime and the border. We need a person who will not back down to the radical left lunatics who are destroying our country. I trust the great people of Missouri on this one to make up their own minds, much as they did when they gave me landslide victories in the 2016 and 2020 elections. And I am therefore proud to announce that Eric has my complete and total endorsement. And he capitalized Eric, which I immediately found strange. Now, the two main GOP candidates in yesterday's Senate primary were both Eric's, Eric Greitens and Eric Schmidt. So telling the people to make up their minds, I trust the people to make up their own minds on this one. Sure, it could be a show of support behind both candidates saying that they're both good. And there's no doubt that Eric Schmidt has been doing some really good things as attorney general. While Eric Greitens is more kind of pure MAGA, but it's still strange not to simply pick one. Trump must have a preference, but he didn't. And last night he congratulated Eric on winning. So it's been very odd to say the least. This is how CNN frames it. Republicans in Missouri breathed a sigh of relief after state attorney general Eric Schmidt won the wide-open Senate primary, according to a CNN projection. So Republicans in Missouri breathed a sigh of relief because Eric Schmidt won and not Eric Greitens, the more MAGA candidate. And of course, from CNN's perspective and with the narrative that they're attempting to convince people of, that makes sense. Their idea is that they want to convince their viewers that all of these MAGA candidates out there are just conspiracy theorists and election deniers. They're telling the big lie. No one really supports them except for the president and his very few supporters. They're selling the narrative that Liz Cheney is the ideal Republican. And ideal Republicans, smart Republicans, sensible Republicans, not those lunatics off on the side, those people want what's best for the party and what's best for the country. And they know that what's best for the party and best for the country is to have down the middle candidates, no MAGA people. So whenever one of those crazy MAGA candidates gets defeated, that's when you breathe a sigh of relief. Perhaps more significant than who won, though, in the deep red state is who lost disgraced former governor Eric Greitens, who was attempting a political comeback. Greitens resigned in 2018 amid a sex scandal and accusation of campaign misconduct and subsequently faced abuse allegations from his ex-wife, which he has denied. And those abuse allegations were pushed by Carl Rove, 
there was a massive Republican establishment attempt to take down Eric Greitens in Missouri. Schmidt, the attorney general, emerged from a crowded field that included two members of Congress, Representatives Vicki Hartzler and Billy Long. Former President Donald Trump stayed out of the race, issuing a tongue-in-cheek statement supporting Eric on the eve of the primary, leaving it up to voters' interpretation whether that means Schmidt or Greitens. So look at the narrative pieces as they fall into place. First one, we're going to see record turnout because the country is so worked up about abortion. Everybody across the country, even in Kansas, wants to defend abortion rights. So they'll go out and vote in record numbers just for that. That's piece number one. Piece number two is that Republicans, responsible, sensible, smart Republicans don't want these crazy MAGA candidates. And they breathe a sigh of relief whenever a MAGA candidate loses. Because everybody knows that MAGA candidates are actually going to make it much easier for Democrats to win. Again, that's what they're selling us. So those are two very interesting narrative pieces. Let's continue. A member of the impeachment 10 is defeated. Representative Peter Meyer became the second of the 10 Republicans who voted to impeach former President Donald Trump to be ousted in a primary Tuesday, losing to Trump endorsed conservative challenger John Gibbs, CNN projected. Democrats played a role in boosting Gibbs, a calculated decision that has become a flashpoint, angering some Democrats and anti-Trump Republicans. Meyer, a freshman, voted to impeach Trump just days after taking office, after the insurrection of January 6th, 2021. Gibbs, meanwhile, backed Trump's lies about widespread fraud in the 2020 election. Meyer's loss means the Grand Rapids-based third district seat will be one of the most competitive House contests in November's midterm elections. So Peter Meyer, the more sensible candidate, not this crazy MAGA guy, he lost, we are told, because Democrats put some money behind John Gibbs. They ran an ad in the days leading up to the election that tied John Gibbs more to Trump. And now we have a scenario where John Gibbs is being looked at as the winner because he received this subversive Democratic help. It's not because he ran a good campaign or he's the best choice or there's actually a huge MAGA contingent in Michigan. It's not any of those. It's because the Democrats helped him out. And so John Gibbs's support, that's not real now. The Democrats got what they want, you see. This crazy election-denying MAGA candidate is going to be easier to beat in the fall reinforcing the idea that MAGA doesn't actually have that much support out there. It's all just an illusion. It's a lot of smoke, but there's no fire. So the narrative pieces, record turnout based on everybody being riled up about abortion. Responsible Republicans don't want MAGA candidates because they're worried that MAGA candidates can't win in November. And Democrats know that they can most easily beat MAGA candidates. So all the MAGA candidates that are winning, these are actually the weakest candidates in the country, not the ones with the most support. They're the weakest ones. Let's continue to Arizona. Arizona's race for the Republican nomination for governor could depend on whether former President Donald Trump's supporters turned out in force on Election Day in a state that conducts its contests largely by mail. Karen Taylor Robson, a former member of the Arizona Board of Regents who is backed by former Vice President Mike Pence and outgoing Governor Doug Ducey, led former television journalist Carrie Lake, a Trump-endorsed election denier, in the early returns Wednesday morning. But the early results were largely mail-in ballots. Votes cast on Election Day were expected to favor Lake, a result of Trump's years-long effort to undermine faith in mail-in voting. The Arizona gubernatorial primary was the most significant contest in a set of primaries that tested Trump's influence over the GOP. And as the results from the Election Day vote come in, Kerry Lake has a 70-30 advantage over Robson in the Election Day votes. That's incredible. That's 
a real vote, or at least it's much closer to one than whatever they're going to do with the mail-in ballots. And Carrie Lake is absolutely dominating. But what's the narrative piece here? The mail-in vote goes to the non-MAGA candidate. Just like in the fall, it's going to go to the Democrat. This is the exact narrative that they gave us in 2020. Remember the red mirage? Trump would be far ahead on election day, but then the mail-in votes would start finally coming in. You know, because the mail takes a very long time and people who vote by mail always wait till the very last minute. Even though we have plenty of stories from 2020 about how mail-in balloting and early voting were already hitting record numbers. So record numbers well before the election, early voters, early voting, mail-in voters also voting very early. But then after massive in-person turnout on election day, well, you know what? A lot of mail-in ballots, they just still haven't come in. It's going to take us a few days, maybe a few weeks to get to the bottom of it. We're just going to have to wait for all these ballots to come in, and then we're going to count them. And eventually, we'll give you a result on who won. And sorry, it's not you. They basically prepped for a red mirage scenario, but not to benefit the Democrat. They wanted the right Republican to be the nominee for governor in Arizona. And as I said, they're still holding back part of that vote. They haven't officially called it for Carrie Lake yet. And you have to wonder what manipulation is happening today. Are they actually going to take that final step and try to steal this from Carrie Lake right out in the open? It is absolutely still possible that they will try to do that. In fact, I almost want them to because it is going to be so obvious to everyone and Carrie Lake will not stop fighting it. So as frustrating and insulting as that might be, it might turn into an ideal scenario for finding and exposing more election fraud. So we've got massive turnout based on abortion. Republicans are happy when MAGA candidates lose. Democrats are happy when MAGA candidates win because they'll be easier to beat in the fall. And then we're getting a rerun of the red mirage narrative. And next, CNN takes us to the governor's primary in Michigan. Tudor Dixon, the conservative commentator endorsed by Trump in the final days of the race and backed by large factions of the Michigan Republican establishment, won the state's GOP primary to take on Democratic Governor Gretchen Whitmer, CNN projected. The clash in Michigan could be one of the nation's most competitive governor's races, Whitmer has cast herself as a bulwark for abortion rights in a state where Republicans have sought to enforce a 1931 law that would impose a near total ban on abortion. Dixon, meanwhile, framed the race in her victory speech Tuesday as a referendum on restrictions Whitmer imposed during the COVID-19 pandemic. Dixon, a mother of four who is backed by former education secretary Betsy DeVos's family, is also an advocate of school choice, potentially positioning education as a marquee issue in November's midterm election. So Tudor Dixon isn't a crazy election denier. They haven't gone that route, but she's challenging Whitmer on COVID-19. And if you're a CNN viewer, everybody knows that Gretchen Whitmer was one of the best governors in the country for the way she handled COVID. She followed the science all the time. Tudor Dixon, she has a problem with how Gretchen Whitmer followed the science. So she's a COVID denier, and everyone who defends the COVID policies is going to have to come out and vote because the last thing you want in office as governor of Michigan is a COVID denier. So we've got huge abortion turnout. We've got crazy MAGA candidates upsetting even the Republicans because even the very smart and sensible Republicans understand that MAGA candidates just can't win in the general election. You've got MAGA candidates winning because the Democrats helped. So the Democrats know it's going to be easier to defeat MAGA in the fall as well. You've got the prelude to a red mirage narrative and you have a setup for blowback against covid deniers. 
And this last one is kind of amazing. Representative Haley Stevens projected Democratic primary victory in Michigan's newly drawn 11th congressional district over fellow Representative Andy Levin marks another blow against progressives in what has been a mostly disappointing primary season. It's also a resounding victory for the American Israel Public Affairs Committee, or APAC, and its super PAC, United Democracy Project, which has spent millions backing moderate, more staunchly pro-Israel candidates in Democratic primaries. Stevens and Levin are both supportive of Israel, but Levin, who is Jewish, has been more willing to criticize its government's treatment of Palestinians and is the lead sponsor of the Two-State Solution Act. So Democrats who ostensibly control all three branches of government right now, as this illegitimate government continues to implement the global communist agenda, the World Economic Forum agenda, build back better, the Green New Deal, this ridiculous rampant spending that's responsible for all the inflation, the terrible immigration situation, the absolute debacle around the world in every single foreign policy issue they touch. That movement is rejecting progressives. The progressives, the people the furthest out on the left, are being marginalized as an ever more communistic agenda is being implemented. And this is basically a version of the switcheroo. The people who are actually responsible for implementing all of this communist nonsense are blaming it on the progressives. They're trying to disassociate themselves with the people furthest left so they can say to America, hey, we get it. You don't like all this crazy stuff. Well, the good news is we're not the ones doing it. It's actually the progressives. Now, I'm clearly no fan of any progressives anywhere, but the idea that they or they alone are responsible for all of this awful agenda is clearly nonsense. The Democrats are trying to rebrand themselves. They're going to pretend that there is some sort of centrist coalition between the center left and the center right. These are the adults back in the room. These are the very serious people who just want what's best for the country. They're going to reject the extremes and every voter should reject the extremes. You don't want to be called an extremist after all. And then they just add in the Israel thing at the end. So if you're a center left or center right Jewish person, you should know that APAC is willing to support these center left candidates because they don't take the same hardline stance on Palestine. So the real news from last night was that it was a complete and total sweep for MAGA. But we can't have that. We can't have people thinking that MAGA is ascendant, that MAGA is actually a force to be reckoned with this fall. Everybody knows that the very violent insurrection means it's way too dangerous to ever allow anyone associated with Trump to ever gain power. And because the number of people in the country who actually watch CNN and MSNBC and believe all of this stuff is very small and shrinking, they need to provide all of these different narrative excuses that lay the groundwork for the steal that they plan for this November. There is no way that they could possibly win legitimately. So they need to steal the elections and to be able to steal the elections without too many people getting upset. They need to provide a bunch of reasons to justify the outcomes so people will actually believe the results. Now, changing subjects without a segue. Last week, I was discussing the pieces in Axios by Jonathan Swan, where he was covering Trump's plans for his second term and how he intends to use Schedule F, among other mechanisms, to dismantle the administrative state. Well, they have consistently been updating this story, and they have two pieces that I want to share with you. This is from today. 2024 GOP hopefuls back Trump's plan to purge civil servants. And of course, they're civil servants. They're not useless bureaucrats who are helping to implement the globalist agenda. They're civil servants. 
Several possible 2024 Republican presidential candidates tell Axios they support former President Trump's plan to make it easier for the president to purge federal workers. Trump need not win his party's nomination, nor even run again for the next GOP president to try to reimpose the executive order known as Schedule F. Democrats, increasingly concerned, are scrambling to block that possibility. Now, isn't that an incredible narrative shift? We were told that the danger here is that Trump, the authoritarian dictator who wants only loyalists, he's going to take over the entire government and make it do whatever he wants just because he's the duly elected president of the United States and that's his job. But now it might happen even if it's not Trump. So any Republican is an authoritarian dictator who demands only loyalists. Is that what we're now supposed to expect? Because the Democrats are trying to block the president's ability to do this. Any president. They don't want a president to be able to fire government bureaucrats. That to them is out of bounds. Even if it's what the people vote for, even if the people want the federal bureaucracy to be shrunk or dismantled completely. It can't happen. The Democrats and uniparty communist Republicans want to protect the administrative state. Why do they want that? Why are they so concerned with that? This isn't about them protecting the individual jobs of employees of the federal bureaucracy. This is about preserving the level of infiltration in that system. And the ability of these career employees to continue administrating in the ways that the global agenda instructs them to. The infiltration and the expansion of the federal bureaucracies has been a decades long project that keeps them in power and implements their agenda outside outside of the normal constitutional means. Six Senate Democrats led by Tim Kaine of Virginia introduced legislation on Tuesday to, quote, secure the civil service and protect career officials against future efforts to reimpose the deeply controversial Trump era order, which was rescinded by President Biden at the start of his term. Representative Jerry Connolly, also from Virginia who chairs the subcommittee overseeing the federal civil service last week, published an op-ed in the Washington post calling on Congress to act. He has sought to amend this year's defense bill to prevent a future president from resurrecting schedule F. He wants to put it in the national defense legislation. It's so important to protect the federal bureaucracy that you need to put it in a defense bill. And you can imagine how the politics on that would play out. Former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo and Senator Ted Cruz told Axios they support using a measure like Schedule F to reform the federal bureaucracy and strip civil servants from their positions in crucial government agencies. Now, who defines crucial? And by the way, aren't all the government agencies crucial? And if they're not, why can't we get rid of them? And it is awfully strange that a news outlet is arguing the importance of federal agencies. Governor Ron DeSantis and Senators Marco Rubio, Rick Scott and Josh Hawley wouldn't speak to Schedule F specifically, but they showed openness to the approach and told Axios they think more needs to be done to hold career officials and federal agencies accountable. Former Vice President Mike Pence, former ambassador to the United Nations, Nikki Haley, Senator Tom Cotton and Representative Liz Cheney declined to comment for this story. The one dissenting voice, Maryland Governor Larry Hogan, who has openly opposed another Trump term. This is another unneeded distraction ahead of a critically important election. Hogan told Axios, while Americans are hurting, Republicans should be talking about reducing the cost of living, getting our economy back on track and stopping violent crime, not hearkening back to the dark days of the end of 2020. And Larry Hogan was absolutely thrashed in the Maryland primary a couple of weeks ago when Trump-backed election denier Dan Cox won the primary to replace Larry Hogan. Larry Hogan's guy got beaten badly. Larry Hogan doesn't even have his finger on the pulse 
of Maryland Republicans. And he's telling the national Republicans what they should be doing. Those aligned with Trump on Schedule F say the apolitical civil service is a myth and assert that the bureaucracy is stacked with liberals out to block conservatives from exercising policy muscle won fairly in elections. And that is actually entirely accurate. Others see that argument as cover for a power play to destroy the civil service, disrupt continuity of government, trigger mass resignations, establish loyalty tests, politicize the bureaucracy and send a chilling effect through virtually every U.S. agency. But all of that is really hard to take seriously with an illegitimate government who is abusing all of the federal bureaucracy and changing their roles, not only to implement the globalist agenda, but to help them hold on to power. Why are Democrats so upset about this? Should we really imagine that people who want to expand the Supreme Court just to create a liberal majority have a problem with putting their own people in place in the federal bureaucracy? They just don't want to see those people removed. Consider how many favors have been done by all those federal bureaucrats to have their jobs, to get promotions, to stay in their jobs forever. Are we to believe that the favor trading doesn't happen with employees of the federal bureaucracy? These people have been promised positions. They've been promised career advancement. And all of that could potentially be wiped away if it turns out they're able to be fired. What would that do to all of the people they've done favors for? Where would their loyalty go after that? They've already passed loyalty tests. That's why they're in there. So these justifications for why Democrats care so much about this fall apart immediately. The impacts go well beyond typical conservative targets, such as the Environmental Protection Agency and IRS, also touching the Justice Department, FBI, State Department and Pentagon. Now, why would Democrats want to protect the federal employees in those agencies? No matter how much corruption we see from the FBI and the DOJ, you just can't fire them. It would be wrong. Pompeo tells Axios that Schedule F was a step in the right direction. We need to do more to hold the D.C. bureaucracy accountable. Great employees need to be rewarded and underperformers shown the door. With our security and economy at risk, we need effective institutions. Americans don't want bureaucrats or ideologues. We want competence, he said. Senator Cruz said, I support creative efforts to root out the deep state. I think there is enormous abuse from radicals who are burrowed into our agencies. And I'm glad to see that the Trump White House was thinking creatively about how to combat that. I think they should have done more sooner. I think any Republican president should work to ensure that there are appointees in the administration who will carry out the policy priorities that the American people voted for. Taking on the entrenched bureaucracy is incredibly important. And the article goes on with some more quotes. The other article covers a lot of the same ground, but it has pieces of Tim Kaine's statement about this proposed legislation. He says, our civil service plays an invaluable role in everything from our national security to the administration of social security benefits. And it's in Americans best interest that those positions be filled with the most qualified applicants. So you're meant to understand that these federal agencies, the federal bureaucracy protects all the most important things in American life. And without these people, if any of these people get fired, everything from national security to social security is at risk. We're supposed to believe that the most qualified possible people are already in those positions. So if any of them were fired, they would definitely be replaced with someone less qualified. And then everything you love is at risk. Our democracy is at stake. Workplace protections for federal workers exist for a reason. So any one administration cannot fire career employees and install their own political appointees. Dianne Feinstein said in a statement, Dianne Feinstein had a Chinese spy driving for her for 20 years. I'm not sure she should be the person anyone turns to when it comes to hiring decisions. 
The last thing we need is for a president to fire dedicated and experienced public servants and replace them with sycophants and grifters without the skills to carry out the functions of government within the rule of law. Senator Ben Cardin said in a statement, we can't get rid of all the corrupt and incompetent people in the federal bureaucracy who are in their positions as a result of favor trading. Because if we do, they would be replaced with sycophants and grifters. And that's definitely not what we have now. We have the most qualified possible people in all of these roles across the federal government. That's why the federal government does such a good job all the time at everything. Don't you understand? Keeping partisan politics out of our civil service is crucial to upholding its integrity and maintaining an efficient and effective federal government. Senator Chris Van Hollen said in a statement. So basically, presidents should not have the ability to fire federal employees who try to obstruct the president's implementation of his own agenda that he was elected to implement. And for the Democrats side of the argument, let's turn to South Park. This is bullcrap. Well, all right, folks, my name is Daryl Weathers, and I'm with the Construction Workers Union. I work with a lot of fine men who have families to feed. Now, I don't know about you all, but we worked long and hard to get our pay up to a level where we could make a decent living. And now these people from the future are showing up and offering to do the same work for next to nothing. They took our jobs. Yeah, yeah they down. took they're our jobs. They did. We're in the moving business. 14 years we've been working our butts off. Now these future folk come in and we can't get work nowhere. Well, they took our jobs. They took your jobs. They took your jobs, they took too. Jobs. What about us in the fast food business? The restaurants are firing us because the future people work for a lot less. They took our jobs. They took your jobs. They took your jobs. That's their argument. They're just protecting American workers. I mean, sure. They had COVID lockdowns that destroyed millions and millions and millions of jobs and millions of lives and made people lose their homes. But you can't ever threaten the jobs of anyone in the federal bureaucracy. And it's not because they're corrupt sycophants and grifters who will do the bidding of the Uniparty and the global communists whose agenda they're implementing. It's because they're the most qualified possible civil servants, and we can't let anyone take their jobs. And so they're going to try to make it impossible to fire these people. That's pretty panicky, if you ask me. And why are they panicking? Well, because they just had a total MAGA wipeout yesterday. Imagine what these races are going to look like this fall. Will Katie Hobbs even have the courage to debate Carrie Lake? I doubt it. That would be incredible. Carrie Lake will wipe the floors with Katie Hobbs. And so will the rest of these MAGA candidates. If they get to see a debate stage, the country is going to have the opportunity to see what MAGA really is and really represents. And the other really interesting dynamic to watch will be what happens when establishment Republicans actually have to side with the MAGA candidates. It's not just Donald Trump right now. And while these people might support Donald Trump and might have been endorsed by Donald Trump, it's not Donald Trump the person who still, as crazy as it is, puts off all sorts of normie Republicans. I believe that we're going to begin to see a lot of those kinds of people in the Republican establishment begin gravitating toward MAGA because when it comes down to these MAGA candidates versus absolute incompetent communists on the other side, like Katie Hobbs and like Gretchen Whitmer, the choice is going to become really clear. And these people will find themselves arguing for a lot of the MAGA agenda that until now they have resisted attaching themselves to. Unless there is a massive steal in the next couple of days in Arizona, we're going to have to see the Republican establishment get behind Kerry Lake. It'll be interesting to see what level they do that. But the voters, the Republican establishment voters, 
They are going to coalesce around Kerry Lake and the rest of these MAGA candidates. Blake Masters, Mark Fincham, Eli Crane, Abe Hamaday in Arizona, John Gibbs in Michigan. And we will see about Lauren Culp and Joe Kent in Washington. This next phase is going to be really interesting because the MAGA argument is going to be made on a much larger public level. It's one thing to ignore the primaries. They're not going to be able to ignore the midterms. And it's going to be MAGA versus communism on the main stage. And I, for one, can't wait. Enjoy the show. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm Your Moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. The merch site is CancelCouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'mYourModerator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!